Welcome to the Finding Refuge podcast. My name is Michelle Cassandra Johnson, and I am so glad you're here. This podcast emerged from work based in the exploration of collective grief and liberation. It exists to remind us about all the ways we can find refuge during unsettling and uncertain times. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to season two of the Finding Refuge podcast. There will be one more episode coming out sometime in May, and that episode will be about my sabbatical. I am going to take a break from May until the end of July, and I'm so very excited. So you'll have one more episode coming up in season two of this podcast. Today's interview is with Tristan Katz, and some of you may know Tristan from the work they do in the world, which is quite powerful. I think I first met Tristan in person in Portland. I was there uh, leading a skill in action workshop, and Tristan came up to me and handed me their business card because prior to the workshop, I had sort of posted on Facebook about needing assistance with skill in action and was feeling quite overwhelmed with requests and not being able to follow up with people. And Tristan handed me their business card. It took me a few months to reach out to them. And I'm so grateful I did for many reasons, not only because they helped expand skill in action and became a thought partner and collaborator of mine in many ways, but also Tristan became a close friend, a dear friend and comrade. And I'm just grateful for their presence on this planet at this time and for everything they offer to us, to the collective, and for the work they do in the world. And so this interview is also quite special, not only because it's with Tristan, but because Tristan is here to talk about grief. And the Finding Refuge podcast began as... Um, a way for us to explore grief, collective grief. And Tristan, during this interview, shares about the loss of a dear friend who was 39, and I lost a friend who was 39 back in 2008. Um, So there's some resonance and similarities there quite unexpectedly. And so I want to say that if you are moving through grief, which I think many of us are just because of the state of the world, But if you're moving through grief, this episode might bring up some things for you. So be mindful of that and take care of yourself as you listen. And I want to tell you a little bit more about Tristan. Tristan is a writer, a digital strategist, and equity inclusion facilitator based on the ancestral land of the Cowlitz and Clackamas peoples and the Confederate tribes of the Grand Ronde and Silitz Indians known as Portland, Oregon. Tristan offers justice-focused marketing, individual and group mentorship programs for yoga and wellness professionals, along with workshops and training centered around queer identity and transgender awareness with an anti-oppression and intersectional lens. Tristan has their own podcast. It's called All the Fuck In, and it's a collaboration with Lauren Roberts. And it features conversations about all things business and entrepreneurship from a radical perspective that says we don't have to choose between social justice values and being successful. 
Tristan was named one of Yoga Journal's 2021 Game Changers and was awarded the Reclamation Ventures Grant in spring 2021 to expand their offerings and dedicate time to writing their first book, Title Forthcoming. Tristan's articles, digital resources, workshops, and trainings support those seeking to grow their work while staying aligned with the practices of yoga equity, diversity, and inclusivity. Tristan is proud to sit on the board of directors at Accessible Yoga, which is a nonprofit working through education and advocacy to share the teachings and benefits of yoga with those who have been marginalized and to identify and remove barriers to access, build strong networks, and advocate for an accessible, equitable, and dynamic yoga culture. I hope you enjoy this interview with Tristan and just learn a lot and that this is solved for your, for your heart at this time. Thanks so much. Tristan, I'm so happy to be in space with you, sharing space with you today, and really appreciative of you, who you are, everything you do in the world, and also that you agreed to be on the podcast. So thank you for being here. Thank you, Michelle. It's really, I mean, I feel like I've, I think I've listened to every episode and I, I, I hear everybody say over and over again, it's an honor to be here. And I'm like, it is an honor to be here. <laughs> so thank you for inviting me. Yeah. I was thinking about how to close out the season, second mm-hmm. season. And you know me, and it's like, Tristan, I need to talk with Tristan like this. So people come in, you know, into my consciousness and I was like, okay, I'm going to ask. And so I'm appreciative of having been led to Mm -hmm. invite you to be here and for us to be in conversation about refuge and grief and all the things that we'll talk about. Thank you. I'm realizing I should have prepared with tissues for this conversation. (laughs) Like to go get some I'm okay. Thank you. (laughs) I might need tissues too. I know. What's happening? Who knows? (laughs) I would love for you to share some, I imagine many people know who you are, many Mm -hmm. listeners, and would love for you to share anything about who you are and where you are and what you do in the world. Thank you. My name is Tristan Katz. My pronouns are they, them. Uh, I live on Cowlitz and Clackamas land, which is now known as Portland, Oregon. And I... Uh, primarily work with yoga and wellness professionals through um, marketing work with a justice and equity focus or lens. And then I teach um, trans and queer inclusion trainings, um, again, primarily for yoga and wellness folks. And I just want to say that most people who know me know this about me and my work, but my work has um, really shifted a lot over the last few years. And I feel like your work is a big part of what has shifted my work and our emotional already. Our, our friendship, colleagueship relationship, your mentorship is a, like, has propelled me into all kinds of new, um, discoveries, both in relationship to my own identity and understanding of my responsibilities as a person who holds the privileges that I do. And also in terms of my, Uh, my gender and like everything. Like, I feel like I have come into myself in the time that I've been working with you, studying skill in action in relationship with you. And, and my work has really shifted according to that evolution too. And so I'm always raving about you in every space that I hold because your work has impacted mine so profoundly in such big ways. So thank you, Michelle. Thank you, Tristan, for sharing that. And yeah, I, 
love that we have come into community together and we'll never forget when we met each other. <laughs> me and too. I remember when you came up to me and I had no idea it would lead to like our friendship and camaraderie and the collaborations that we lead together and work on and deep friendship. And um, so I'm grateful that um, we're in each other's lives and my work has certainly evolved because of you. So <laughs> know that um, as well. And yeah, thank you. So part of the reason I believe that you came into my consciousness when I was like thinking about how to um, close out season two and who else to invite um, to be a guest on the show is because you supported Finding Refuge, the book and, and um, did some editing and developmental editing and like just supported it actually energetically in many, many ways. And I can't remember if the book had already come out when one of your friends transitioned or it was about to. It did. It had to come out. Um, wasn't it published July 13th, actually? Yeah. 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 Okay. So it came out just a week after she passed. Right. And yeah, I knew the time was close. And so I, I'm sure you came to me because um, of, of Aviva, your friend, and wanting to make space to talk some about that and your process, given that finding refuge is about grief and how we move through it and with it. And so I'd love to know how your heart is feeling and anything you want to share about where you are in your process of grieving and being with all that, that has happened. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, my heart has been really heavy. Um, and lot, like a lot of holding a lot of both hands, like feeling a lot of joy and excitement and lightness. But I feel like underneath the joy, excitement and lightness is like a deep, deep weight. And it shifts, you know, um, but lately it feels more weighted. Aviva, we had known each other since we were 13, um, became much closer when we were around 16, 17 and stayed really close for a decade or more. And, you know, lived in different cities, lived in different states. She moved to Israel for a while. I stayed here in the States. Like we carried each other through a lot. And it was her birthday last week. Um, she would have turned 40. And I think that's a big part of why my heart is so heavy lately. Um, it's like the first anniversary after she passed. And I'm really big on anniversaries. So it, it meant a lot to me. Um, she passed on July 4th of last year, um, really suddenly and unexpectedly from a brain aneurysm, which she had likely had her whole life, but we never knew. Um, she had headaches and migraines and took a ridiculous amount of Advil. Um, but we all just assumed it was anxiety. She was a very anxious person, even if whatever, even if they had, the doctors had found the aneurysm, like, you know, it was what it was. I like to think that she was at peace when the process started, when she woke up in the middle of the night that day with a migraine. Um, I keep wanting to imagine her with like some deep sense of ease for a variety of different reasons. Of course, I'll never know what her experience was. I just know that I got the phone call the next day. Um, she had texted me on my birthday, which was July 1st. Mm -hmm. And she was happy, like in a way that she had never been before in her whole life. Cause she was finally a mother and mm -hmm. she had wanted that for a really long time. Like since we were kids and uh, you know, she sent me a picture of her and her baby um, and told me how well she was doing. And, and then four days later, I got a phone call. 
So, you know, I had spent, <laughs> I had spent like the previous year or six months or so, given the way, the way, the speed at which you write books, it was probably about six months working with you on finding refuge and immersing myself in your writings on grief. And I've certainly experienced grief in my life, but never before like that after she passed. And whew, um, I mean, you were one of the first people I turned towards, though I remember it was in a in a kind of awkward way because I still don't know how I'm still learning how to ask for support. Um, and I remember I emailed you after she passed and just said, you know, my friend had transitioned. And, and I think I said something like grief. Wow. And was like very shut down about it. Like I didn't know how to say, can you hold this with me? Um, and also I was in like deep, deep shock. Uh, it was just so shocking. Um, and I feel like that whole week after I heard the news was just like a blur of, I don't want to say dissociation. I don't know if that's what was happening for me, but um, there was a lot of like book the flight, clear the work schedule, you know, the, the practical things to do so that I could go bury her um, and have ceremony and ritual and, and community time um, with our friend group. And I mean, I could barely eat and, you know, it was, it was a very hard time. And I remember feeling the wisdom of finding refuge and knew that it was going to be available to me when I was ready to more deeply receive it. And yeah, I mean, you must have sent me a copy of the book right around that time as it came out. Um, and I read it cover to cover shortly after I received the copy and it felt like, like a deep exhale. I didn't know I was going to need that book in the way that I did. And, and I had already read it several times, but reading it again after she transitioned and for like my personal support was obviously a very different experience than reading it with an editing lens. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's been a rocky six, eight months or so. Um, we gathered together on Zoom for her birthday and one of our she, Aviva was a yoga student and she had gone through yoga teacher training, but wasn't teaching, but we had a good shared friend who has been a yoga teacher for a decade. And, and our friend Rachel taught a yoga class in Aviva's honor this past weekend. And that was like seeing Aviva's family and friends on the zoom screen. Cause they were all together in person, um, wow. seeing them together on the zoom screen, and hearing our friend teach this class and like she had made a playlist in her honor and really called her in so beautifully. Um, and they had put out a mat that was like Aviva's mat. It was really, really lovely. Um, so I've definitely learned in this process that like first grief is not linear <laughs> um, and that it doesn't really stop you know, it just keeps going and, and changes and shifts in different directions. And there have been times where I felt like, was Aviva even real? Like, it's mm -hmm. like, she, she doesn't even feel it, it's, it's hard to describe like the, what it's like to, to live with the absence of her after her being in my life for I don't know, 20 years, 20 plus years. Um, but I'm, I'm really learning. I'm learning to allow what needs to surface to surface. Um, I'm, I'm learning how to hold it. I think more skillfully how to honor and celebrate her. I have 
photos of her in front of me right now. Um, like I'm really learning what it means to, to keep her present in my heart and in my life and to remind myself that like the sadness is because I loved her, you know, the grief is because of the love. Um, and I do feel her with me. Um, I don't, I, I, I don't usually feel like I can access like ancestral connection or, or medicine or wisdom or communication, but I, I do feel her with me at times. And sometimes it really does feel like she's standing right by my side. So I, I keep coming back to trusting that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing about Aviva and your, your process of an experience of grief and your ongoing experience of it and remembering her on her birthday, right. in community and just what it means to honor someone after they've transitioned and also honor your process of grief. Like, and you know, you know this and folks who read Finding Refuge know that I lost a friend, Eric, he was 39, right? And unexpectedly, so there are some, some similarities in that way. And he was a dear, dear friend who I thought, of course, that would like be in this realm with me forever and ever until we both left this realm. You know, I didn't expect it to happen, but you know, it felt premature to me. Mm. And even what you described about the text you received on your birthday and Aviva seeming like happier than she had ever been before, days before Eric's passing, people describe him as like happy and, mm. and sort of free in this way that, he just wasn't always that way. Like some, there was a lightness about him that was different. Um, so there are just some similarities in our, their sort of experience or stories around that. Um, and what you said resonated deeply. And, and, and one thing I've, I've noticed and, you know, in conversation or in spaces where we've been facilitating um, or on social media as you're sharing about your grief. And I feel like that happened almost immediately actually after Aviva transition and, you know, sharing with people and community um, about what this experience has been like for you. And I wonder, because of what you said about the email that you sent me, which I remember it was like, you said, you know, you didn't really know how to ask people to hold it with you and hold you in this. And so much of what I've noticed in your sharing with folks is an invitation for people to hold you and this grief process and all the things that are connected to the loss of one person because grief sort of compounds itself in my experience. It's like Mm -hmm. it brings up all these other things. And so I'm curious to know about that opening, I think, to sharing more about, about your grief and also the invitation to people to hold this with you, to be in this with you, which is Mm. how I perceive what you're offering, what you're sharing with Mm. folks. Yeah. What an interesting observation or reflection to receive from you. Um, I'm like, oh yeah, you're right. I am doing that. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, I know that I took a break from social media after I learned of her death. And then I felt like, I mean, it was in the midst of, um, launching a real like the biggest thing I had ever taught which was a two-month-long course with accessible yoga school like I was supposed to be in like an active marketing period um around the time that she passed and I couldn't do it and I also couldn't do it and pretend 
that that was all that was happening in my life. Like I couldn't show up and like share about this training and, and then just keep sharing about the training. It was like, I, I mean, I know not everybody feels this way about social media, but I often feel that it is a, pers- a place for me to personally share um, and, and be witnessed and be held to your point. And I also noticed really quickly that the minute I did get back on Zoom for a, a public facing offering, it was so like I couldn't not name what was happening for me because it was so present and I couldn't hold a a grounding meditation at the start of an offering. Like I had to get really clear about, like, I know that my tears are going to be welcome in the spaces I move through. And how do I support myself in honoring that emotion when it comes up without totally losing it and falling apart? And then essentially being like, sorry, I can't teach this, you know, (laughs) which is kind of, I mean, it's, it feels black and white and extreme. And I don't think that it's actually as black and white and extreme as my brain wants to tell me it is, but I felt like I needed to at least acknowledge like, Hey, I'm grieving, um, and can't lead this meditation. And so I've asked this person to support me in leading it today. And that was like the first thing that came through was ask the people who are going to be in the spaces with you to share their medicine so that I can feel held and the folks in the space can have grounding and I can release or center. There was a lot of release coming up. Like any, there was, I remember there was one session in that course that I taught where somebody was talking about Judaism and Aviva and I are both Jewish and Aviva had a real, real close connection to her Jewish faith and rituals and practices. And when that student started sharing about Judaism, I immediately just started crying because it felt like Aviva coming in. And I have learned um, both through my experience facilitating, through witnessing you, through working with you, through reading like the work of Adrienne Marie Brown, I have learned how important it is to bring our full selves into the space and to let whatever is unfolding unfold. And it's it's a practice because I still get caught up in the like, I owe these people this or the agenda is this um, or they need to leave the workshop with this. But I've also learned that there's like a balance too between vulnerability and boundaries. And that's an ongoing learning process for me. But the vulnerability is, I mean, when I've seen you do it in relationship to moments, for example, with your mother, when, I mean, I remember being in a in-person offering with you when you were navigating some of her health concerns years ago, and you were transparent about what you were holding. And the fact that you were leaving the middle of the workshop to make phone calls to the hospital and the caregivers, and you were advocating for her, and then you were coming back and holding space to talk about white supremacy. And I just feel like, you know, working with people like you, studying with people like you, I've had it modeled for me that we don't have to deny who we are in these moments in order to teach or educate or call people in. Like that's the opposite of what this work is asking of us. And so, yeah, I do feel like I had to show up on social media and say, and I had to memorialize her and remember her and celebrate her. Writing is one of my forms of expression. Um, And it felt so powerful to put the words down and have them received. And I, every now and then I'll just sprinkle a little bit more of Eva grief into my personal sharing because it is still alive for me. And I don't want people to think, I feel like our culture teaches us 
And you talk about this in Finding Refuge so beautifully that, you know, you grieve in the course of a weekend and then it's done and you move on and then you go back to work um, or you take this much time. Uh, and it it's not it doesn't work that way. We can't expect it to be contained into three days or seven days. I'm still reliving memories from that weekend of her funeral, wishing that I could go back in time and be with those people crying and laughing and staying up late talking about her. It's like my body craves that space. Um, And it's not as available as it was that weekend that we buried her. And how can I then create it, you know, for myself? To me, that's remembering and sharing and reminding people that this is still happening for me. It didn't stop because time passed. She's still gone. I'm still losing her. I'm still missing her. So yeah, it's interesting to think about like the story that my brain says, which is I don't know how to ask to be held or witnessed um, when actually I have been this whole time. So I appreciate that reflection. Yeah. 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 That's my observation and what I've witnessed. And I mean, on many occasions uh, on social media, as we've been facilitating, as we've been in conversation that as we just corresponded over email, like it's present, you're bringing, I've observed and witnessed you and experienced you bring in what's actually happening, like on the surface, under the surface, what's moving through related to Aviva and, and, and other experiences that you might have of grief or of, of joy or of other, other things. Yeah. So I'm glad you were able to receive that observation because that's, I'm, I mean, I don't think I'm the only person who's experienced that over the last year, specifically related to Aviva from you. And, and two things, two sort of stories or things came to mind as I was listening to you. And one is that after Eric transitioned, I went back to work, like maybe the next week I was a a social worker in private practice. So I had clients and I went, I remember the client and I remember I had worked with this client for a long time. And I was like, I'm going to go into work. And I was sitting across from her and I just started crying. Mm. And I was like, I should not be here (laughs) right now. I was like, I wanted to come into work because I want to show up for my clients. I mean, that was the real, like I was working with folks who needed support and pretty acutely at times. And so, um, and this client was, was fine and stable and was okay, but I still wanted to show up. And I remember just being like, I can't be here. And I'm, I am really sorry. And they understood. And I worked with this client for years after that. But the like humanness in that mm-hmm. moment of like, I actually can't do this. I don't need you to do this for me, but I can't do what I'm supposed to do with you and like hold you as you're moving through whatever you might be moving through. And my body gave me no other choice. Like grief gave mm-hmm. me no other choice, yep. but to be like, I can't actually be present. And I don't know if I like beat myself up for that later or what. I don't think so. I think I was so in my humanness, like this is what needs to happen right now. And they were, um, I can see the client's face and their name and just like, I think they were responsive to that and saw that. And, you know, like being trained as a therapist, often therapists are are not supposed to show emotion and not supposed to. And I'm glad it was that client. I think it was on purpose, but Mm -hmm. it was that client and Mm -hmm. that they didn't, they like understood, like I lost one of my dearest friends and that came to mind. And then when you were talking about craving your body, craving the 
space to be with people and stay up late and talk about Aviva and remember Aviva. I was in Kenya years ago and we were um, on safari and we saw these elephants in a circle. And the person who was guiding us, we were like, what are they doing? And they were sort of rocking back and forth and an elephant had transitioned and they were Mm. all around the elephant. And this guy said, they come back every year to the Mm. same spot where, and I love elephants and have like researched them and been to Kenya three times, like love watching them and engaging, interacting with them. And this ritual of like coming back every year to the same spot to remember that just made me, I haven't thought about that in a long time, but like, what does it look like to do that for yourself and your life? And also with friends, as you just did over the past weekend for Aviva's birthday, but like more frequently, what would it be like if we just, if we did that, right. And created rituals around that more frequently. So we could really be in this practice of remembering and how powerful that is. Yeah. You're making me think I should book a flight to go to the Bay area at the one year mark. And I, I don't, I don't think I'm going to do that. I, I I feel like I need, I actually feel like this craving to be where I was when I first got the news on the one year mark. Um, Mm. like there feels something full circle about that, um, and, and ritual and, um, memorializing oriented about that. But I think, you know, the, the community, we were a very, close group of friends for a really long time. And of course, you know, the older we've gotten, the farther apart we've all become. And many of them still live in Los Angeles, which is where Aviva and I grew up. Um, We buried her in the Bay Area, which is where she was living for most of her adult life. And she loved the Bay Area. Uh, But I feel like we're we're, we're doing an okay job <laughs> like of, of, cause we came together in October to plant a tree in her honor um, at the camp that we all grew up going to together. And, you know, and now we just came together some in person, some on zoom for her birthday. And I do think we're going to keep doing that gathering in some form. And I do feel like her passing is an invitation or a reminder, right. To not let those friendships go. Like, and I mean, I was like, (laughs) I was far away from those friendships when she passed. Um, because, because of my, my gender journey, really like in big part and because of my social justice journey. And I just felt like I don't fit with that group anymore. We don't have the same eye to eye values, eye to eye feels weird. We don't have the same values. We don't have the same perspectives, which isn't entirely true. Like we all care deeply about healing and, and justice. I believe we're just not all talking about it or working on it in the same direct, in the same ways. And I think I was protecting myself from them and, and maybe judging a little too, like, oh, you're not talking about cultural appropriation in yoga, you know? Um, You're not talking about white supremacy. Uh, You're not talking about gender and trans justice. Um, And I'm discovering that I've been trans my whole life. Like, and it was scary too to say like, okay, I'm going to go back and be with these people who I've been distancing myself from gradually over the last few years. And they don't know my pronouns. Like they only know me as the person that I've been with them. And there was a, a reckoning that I had to do. Like, at what point do I come out to these friends? You know, am I going to keep them in my life? Is this a sign from the universe, from Aviva that like these friendships matter and that we can hold each other, even if 
we're not all talking about cultural appropriation in yoga or or we're not all having the same conversation about gender or identity or privilege. I I I do feel like I feel like I, I did come out to Aviva about a year or so before she passed and she didn't quite understand it, um, she, but she held it and she wanted, I, I got the sense from her that she wanted to show up and love me in it. Um, and the question of coming out to like a whole group of people was like a whole nother thing. And like, do I do it in person? Do I do it on text message? Like, are they going to get my pronouns right? Do I have to educate them? Am I going to interrupt them if they misgender me? Aren't we supposed to be talking about Aviva and not Tristan's gender journey? Um, so there was a lot of like stickiness for me, I think, in re-engaging or reconnecting with this group of people who I love dearly and hold all these close and tender memories with. Um, and I do feel like Aviva I don't know. There's, there's something it's, and I wonder if you feel this too, like about Eric and the other experiences you've had of, of folks you've lost or who have transitioned, like, are they the same in the, in the, after the transition? Like, I feel like Aviva is now like with me in a different way than she was when she was alive. Like she gets it now. She knows, like she sees me, she believes in me. She affirms me. She supports me. It's not about my pronouns. It's about something much, much bigger. And I feel like she, when I can hear or sense into what she is saying, it's don't let go of this love that you have with them because it's it's bigger than identity, you know? Um, it's bigger than values. Uh, not that those things aren't important because they're very important, um, but like trust that that love can hold these complexities, you know? Um, and I did, I can't, I didn't come out to everybody the weekend that we buried her. I, I did it several days after we all got home to our respective homes. I did do it in a text thread and it was very hard. And of course, everybody was like, we love you. We support you, um, you know, celebrating you. Like it was just, and that was what I needed, right? I needed to know that that trust was still there. Um, but yeah, it is hard for me to like, think, well, now I'm going to go back and hang out with everybody every year or something like it. It's, it's not, it's not simple. And that doesn't mean that the love isn't there and that the family isn't there, but families are complex. So, I mean, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, everything, yes, to everything you said and the complexity of it all. And, and what I said earlier about grief, you know, experiences of trauma or experiences of grief can compound one another and um, bring out all these different complexities that you just yeah. named. Of course, I haven't had the same experience because of my, I'm cisgender, but like, it's a web. It can feel like a web, like it's connected and it's, it's sticky. And how do I do this? And it just brings up all of these different things that I think sometimes in my own experience, I didn't expect to come up. Yeah. through my grief journey or process or have to think about how to navigate this experience or explain like this is what's going on or right like this is the nature of my grief and this is how it feels and so I really hear that of course from a different experience but hear that yeah. and the connection you know the connection could be going back or it could be something else it's like the awareness that that love is there and that you all are connected and Aviva is is offering this gift and message of stay in connection, but not prescribing how that 
yeah. happens, right? Like there's room for us to create the rituals that we need and, and rituals change over time based on what we need and where we, in my experience, where we are in our process of grieving. So just honoring that, that too, and really listening to if, if you want to go back to the place where you were, when you heard the news, then listen to that, right? Mm -hmm. If you want to, to have a zoom call with people who are part of this chosen family that you were talking about, you know, do that, but there's not one way as we know to grieve or to memorialize. And in general, I think many people um, need more rituals around this and just to allow for those rituals to shift throughout time. And I, I also love what you said about like, once people transition, do they, are they different? Are they the same? And often I think about like this body that I'm in, I'm glad I'm here in the body, but it's like limiting. It was just like, I do think in my experience, my ancestors, the well ones are much more expansive, Yeah, you know, than they were like in physical form, they're much more expansive and, and, uh, another realm, like my grandmother, Dorothy is in heaven. That is what I believe because that's what she believes. Mm-hmm. So, and she was so devoted and, you know, to, and had a lot of faith. And so like from that space for her, right, she's much more expansive. And I felt that immediately. And so I do think there's something to that, the body, mm-hmm it's not liberated. Our bodies aren't liberated as much as we might work to feel liberated. We're in these bodies that with these identities that have been constructed, right. And, yeah. and trying to move about and also remember we're bigger than our bodies or that's yeah. what I'm trying to do. So yeah. I just hear that. And often I wonder about what is possible outside of this body as I like stay grounded in a body because mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm on earth. I'm not trying to be somewhere else right now. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Like, we want to live in this body and feel things and be in this opportunity. Um, and I know there's more mm. like there's something more. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. And I'm curious to know, you know, sometimes people like I have received many signs from Eric in the natural world um, and other spaces, but he loved the outdoors and camping and hiking and all of that. So, so many signs there. And from my grandmother, many, many signs. And so I'm wondering if there are any, any messages or signs, symbols mm. that have come through for you that you feel like are from Aviva. Yeah. I, I look for them, <laughs> which might be part of the, the challenge. <laughs> Like I'm, I'm waiting for them. Um, and I, I, I don't know that I've experienced signs exactly, but I do find, like, I do feel like, you know, when she passed, I hadn't, I hadn't said a word of Hebrew in maybe 20 years. Um, I hadn't celebrated any Jewish practice in just as long. And when she passed, I immediately started to um, circle back to some of those practices. And I started lighting the candles for her on Friday nights, which she did when we were growing up. That was every Friday she was with her family lighting Shabbat candles. And so I started lighting those for her and did that for a long time. Um, And I started reciting the Hebrew prayer for mourning almost every day for her. The thing that felt so interesting is like both the, like there was like a foreignness to, to having Hebrew come out of my mouth after so long. And there's so much like loaded history for me around Judaism and and my Jewish identity. Um, Lots of what I think is like internalized oppression that I'm carrying forward from my family and my ancestors. Um, 
And I feel like in bringing the Hebrew back into my mouth and my tongue and my voice, I feel her in a really profound way, particularly at certain, at one particular part of the mourner's prayer. I was just telling a friend, like, I don't know if she's actually with me when I feel her in those moments, or if I'm recalling what it felt like to recite those prayers with her, because I did for so long recite those prayers with her. Um, Like I can remember her standing next to me and can almost sense her whispering and her closed eyes and her energy when we would say those prayers together. And so I feel like it's less signs and more like sensing that she is actually here, like on, on my shoulder. And going back to when we planted the tree for her at the camp we grew up going to, I hadn't been to that camp in a really long time, at least a decade or more. Um, And being at that camp, I was flooded with all these memories that I had forgotten, you know, Um, like she and I used to take really long walks Saturday mornings together and just walking and talking for a really long time in the sunshine. And I had forgotten what that felt like. And in my memory, we're holding hands, even though we never held hands, like that wasn't what we were doing. But in my memory, when I was driving along that path and remembered suddenly out of nowhere, oh, yeah, we used to go for these walks every weekend and just talk in my memory, we're holding hands. And I, yeah, it feels less like signs and more like, um, like a sense of what was or what we shared. And I also want to name too, like I didn't realize this, but I think I was in love with her when we were kids. And I just didn't know it because internalized homophobia and queerness is weird in cis heteronormativity, you know? Um, But I, the day that I learned that she died, I was sitting and thinking about her and thinking about my memories of her. And I was like, oh, I think I had feelings for her. Like, oh my God. Um, Like, I think she was the first woman slash person assigned female at birth who I had feelings for. And so I feel like it's like these signs in these ways, right? Where it's like the memory is has shifted or the sense of a memory has shifted or the sense of her being with me and whether it's a memory or it's actually her being with me or these moments where I'm like uncovering a part of my identity journey through our friendship and love, like these feel like signs on some level, but they're not like, you know, a flower in the middle of the street or like some sort of like overt, obvious thing that I was expecting or hoping for. Yeah. But I, I, you know, I think, I think she's, I think there are signs coming through in different ways. They're just not as like linear. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. I appreciate the way you describe that. And memory and what happens with memory and also it's making me think of quantum physics so maybe y'all were holding hands do you know what I mean like that's actually yeah maybe that did happen or maybe you're doing that now in your mind as you remember you know what I mean like I was like oh there's this something beyond the beyond that we don't know and and so maybe that was happening it did it just made me think of that and sort of imagine that or delight in that for a moment like the way you're remembering her and it certainly sounds like you feel Aviva around you, right? You can hear Aviva, right? You can sense Aviva. And and those feel like maybe they're not signs, but it's presence, like Aviva is present, which feels, I mean, in my experience, that's profound too, as profound as me finding a heart in the woods of Jenna is from Eric. Do you know what I mean? It's like hearing his voice or 
when I see the deer and I only see them once they, they start to move, I associate deer with him every mm-hmm. time. Like I, they're in my yard and I don't know they're there. And then they start to move. Right. That feels like a sign, but you know, that is as profound as like, just sort of feeling him around me in some way or reading words that I know he would have said to me or like, so I think signs show up or the people of transition show up mm. in many different ways and just being open to that because sometimes in people's process of grieving, they close off to that and it can feel like a lot. I mean, there's can feel painful to then not be able to physically be in space with that person or being. So I understand that. And I feel like nature and, and beings are communicating with us all the time. And if we have space for that, being in the practice of being open to it feels like that's part of what might heal our grief in yeah. a way yeah, or support us as we move through it. And, and I am curious to know, like, I know we, we talked about finding refuge, right. And I'm curious to know about how you're doing that now and how you're, mm-hmm. what is supporting you or, or providing some sort of healing space for you at this time. Yeah. I always have an Aviva altar now. Like it just lives there. It's there. It is ever evolving in a really beautiful way. Like I add things to it and I take away and then I find a letter that she wrote me when we were kids and that goes on the altar. Um, So it's, it's alive and that stays in my home with pictures of her too. Uh, And then anytime I leave and stay the night anywhere else, I build like a mini temporary (laughs) Aviva altar. Like photos always come with me. Certain rocks always come with me. The Hebrew prayer card that we were given at her funeral um, ceremony comes with me anytime I leave home. So I'm, I'm constantly making space for her to remember her, to honor her, to celebrate her, to invite her in, to keep her presence here. And on her birthday, which happened to be a Friday, um, I lit the Shabbat candles and said the prayer and ordered, we live in an age of delivery food now, unfortunately, (laughs) which is not good for the environment. Um, I will acknowledge that, but I ordered Israeli food, um, which she would have loved. And that felt like bringing her in and, and remembering her and ritualizing her. And I spent time with a friend sharing memories. And I even like this was over zoom. I like connected my phone to the computer and shared all the photos that I have on my phone and like told the stories and, and listened to music that she loved all day that day through the whole weekend, like music I haven't listened to in, you know, 20 years, but music that reminded me of her. Um, and I, I said the prayer for morning, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm coming back to the initial things that gave me refuge, I think, after she died um, and and bringing those back in in the moments where there's an anniversary or there's a deeper need for that connection in that space. And I love just talking about her like and I know you must experience this, too, with Eric, because I've heard you talk about Eric so many times and every time you do. And maybe it's because I feel so intimately connected to the book. But like I well up with emotion when I hear you talk about Eric, like Eric feels special to me now um, because Mm -hmm. I've heard you share the specialness of him so much. And, and I'm just so grateful for the people in my life, like this moment too, with you who are like, let's talk about Aviva, you know, and we're talking about Aviva. We're talking about me. We're talking about grief, but I'm so grateful for the friends who are like, do you want to share memories of her? What can I, you know, do you want to share photos? Like, do you want to talk about stories? That feels really important. 
And two, you know, back to the like reconnecting with this group of friends who I had kind of drifted from, um, staying in touch with them now and just sending a text message, like thinking of you, thinking of her today, you know, or leaving a voice note and being in tears, like still this many months later, like, and people getting it and knowing that like we can turn to each other. Um, one friend in particular, I've like, we've had long phone conversations for the first time in, you know, 15 years or something. Um, and that feels like remembering her and celebrating her and reminding us of, of what it was like for us to all love each other. And for the fact that we still do those things feel really important and like places of refuge and ritual for sure. Yeah. Yeah. What you just shared made me think about something you said earlier about friends and sort of complicated relationship, just different things yeah. have come up and how there are friends where it is about identity and it's beyond that. It's like, mm-hmm. we can't, we know we can't transcend the relative truth or identity. And I, I certainly have relationships with folks where it's like, absolutely see my identities. And also there's, I see something else there or we can, it, it's just big enough, as you said, to hold yeah. um, who we are in this way that, I mean, to me, that feels like that's the magic that has to happen for us to like be free in the world is, is that I have to think about it more, but what you just named made me think about that again. Like, yeah, we're not transcending, but in some, when we're able to be in the fullness of who we are mm-hmm. and all, and that includes all of the messiness and still see our humanness and be in our humanity with each other, like mm-hmm. that's the, that's it, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. grief in my experience, sort of opens that doorway or it can, because it offers a perspective that's different because there's been a profound loss. Yeah. When you thought you had more time or there could be another conversation or I don't want to project to you, but I've certainly felt like it's like, and then, then that's not available. And so it's like, well, what's important and can all of it be important? And can we, can we be with it? I don't know if that makes sense, but I'm, be noodling around with that for no, no, it does make sense, and that was my experience. I mean, one of the first things I said after I learned the news was I thought we had more time. Um, Mm -hmm. I I mean, I really did. You know, she was thirty nine; we were thirty nine. She had just had a baby. Like I thought, we had more time. Um, And yeah, there was something. There was something special to the weekend that we buried her. I, I did come out as trans to, to two of the friends in the larger friend group. And in that moment, like sitting down at a meal with them and like there were four chairs and there were three of us. So like Aviva was there like mm-hmm. and we were we hadn't been together, the three of us in so long. And we were all in such shock. Um, and I felt like wow, I'm a completely different person than the person I was when I was close and actively close with these people. And I, in the moment that I came out to them, there was this like, I'm still the same person. I just know myself better now. And now I can invite them into seeing me more clearly and into seeing our history too, because I was in pain for a long time. Like I was depressed. I was dissociated. I was anxious. I was experiencing disordered eating and dysphoria, which I thought was disordered eating related. Like they know, they all know that I was really struggling throughout our, our adolescence into early adulthood. And so to invite them into like, look, now I know myself 
that was a big deal. Mm. Um, and, and to be held too. And for one of them to say like, I don't know enough about transgender identity or gender, like, and not in a way that was like, do the labor and educate me, but like, I want to love you. I want to support you. I'm thrilled for you. Where do I go for more information? (laughs) You know, like, Mm -hmm. what do you need? You know? And the questions that they asked over the course of the weekend, like, are you doing okay? You know, um, do you want me to correct somebody when they misgender you? Like they were starting to show up for me because I invited them in to doing so. And that feels like, you know, it's like what you're saying, like the identity, our identities freaking matter. And this love, this whole human love that has been shared since we were 13, some of us even younger, like that matters too. And, and there is, there's like a holding of both and seeing beyond the like rigid, it's almost like I'm replicating white supremacy in my head when I'm like, well, I'm going to distance myself from this person because they're not in the conversation. Right. Cause they're not doing quote the work that's not what's needed. Like, I mean, maybe sometimes it is. (laughs) Let's be real. But how do we keep calling people in, right? Um, And love ourselves into who we want to be and love each other into who we can be. I mean, to to your words, you know? So yeah, that feels really potent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It does. It it makes me think about Tema when I, I interviewed her for the, on this, um, on Finding Refuge. And she said, she was talking about love and like how when she first started doing Timok and dismantling racism work, that love was like, people would not say love, wouldn't center love, didn't surface love, didn't. And she was talking a lot about love and, and that being part of her practice, which I've known her for over two decades and have witnessed that her bringing love in and just a softening for her around that and less rigidity and like and so yeah I love I love this like that the love matters right and the actionable love right and that person saying well if someone misgenders you should I uh, what would you like me to do what do you need even in that I mean that moment where like y'all are like grieving and you're coming out and like showing up in that way right then like that is real love I Mm -hmm. think and so how can we how can we cultivate more of that? And just so appreciate um, you taking time to and space to talk about Aviva and, and um, share with me and, and the listeners and just again, appreciate who you are. And, and I appreciate you sharing your tenderness in the way that you do. Um, of course, that's not a like, obligation like you don't have to do that every but like I've been in many spaces where I feel like that is part of what comes through and I really feel like it changes people Mm. and it changes the space um that's my experience so I just want to appreciate all of who you are and and in particular your tenderness and truth thank you about where you are so thank you so much for for being here thank you today it's really it was a gift and I knew it would be a gift and I appreciate you wanting to hold the space for this conversation. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. I hope you enjoyed the episode. So, as you all may know, I have a new book out, Finding Refuge, Heart Work for Healing Collective Grief, published by Shambhala Publications. It was published on July 13th, 2021 and can be found anywhere where books are sold. Along with the book, you can join me for some offerings focused on finding refuge, 
and focused on collective grief, ritual, and processing trauma, allowing it to move through so that we can get free. We'll explore the connection between grief and liberation. You can support the podcast Finding Refuge by telling your friends about it and rating it on iTunes. You can support my work in the world by becoming a patron on Patreon. You can find me there as Michelle C. Johnson, Skill in Action. I offer monthly Dharma talks, rituals, meditations, or movement practices. I hope you join me there. Take care. Be well, friends. Mm-hmm.